I wouldn't have chosen them. But having said that, we've just experienced one of the driest summers of recent times. And the only part of the farm that grew grass all summer was the part that was habitated by the beavers. And welcome to The Lodgecast, a nature and wildlife podcast brought to you by the Beaver Trust. I'm Sophie Pavel. And I'm Eva Bishop. Each episode, we bring you the latest news from the Beaver Trust as we welcome beavers back to our rivers to restore our countryside and create resilient landscapes. And we also explore the state of nature in the UK and speak to fascinating experts and inspiring individuals along the way. Today, we're finding out what it's really like to have wild beavers living on your land as we're joined by Head of Wildlife and Conservation, Sam Bridgewater, and Head of Agriculture, Sam Bryant-Evans, at Clinton Devon Estates. (gasps) Eva, hello. How are you doing? Hello. I'm good, thank you. How are you, Sophie? How are you? I'm very well, thank you. Um, you know, I'm quite excited today because we are going to be talking a lot about Devon, my home county. We're going to be talking about <laughs> stories of beavers from the deepest, darkest southwest. Splendid. Yes, this series is all about beavers and farming. Last week was about introducing beavers to your patch as a land manager or farmer. And this week, we're continuing the journey by looking at what happens when beavers are living in and making changes to your land. Yeah, I mean, we introduced this concept in our first episode last week, didn't we, with a wonderful Sarah Langford. I loved chatting to her. I feel like we could chat to her for hours and hours. I mean, to be honest, (laughs) listeners, I'd really recommend going back and having another listen of that if you haven't already, because she talks about farming in a way that is so exciting and modern. So yeah, it's a good one. Yes, and today we've got two equally brilliant conversations to bring you as we are speaking to two people, two Sams, in fact, from Clinton Devon Estates to give us different perspectives on having beavers on your land. Because beavers, let's face it, they're not a perk for wealthy estates. We need to bring them back across Britain so they're going to affect all sorts of land management practices. Yes, indeed. In fact, when you're bringing the second largest rodent in the world back to the British countryside, there are lots of different considerations and jobs that need to happen. Beavers themselves can need careful management in some cases, And a really vital task is to involve the local communities around the surrounding catchments and landscapes and other stakeholders to ensure that everyone is aware and informed of what happens when beavers are back in the countryside. Exactly. So it's going to be a really fascinating um, opportunity to have two sides of the same story and really dig into the wins and challenges of living alongside beavers. What's it really like for boots on the ground working alongside them? Yeah, it's a rare case, actually, to chat to these people who are actually doing the field work. And since we've got so much to pack in, why don't we just get straight into it? Absolutely. So first up, we're going to chat with Sam Bridgewater, who is the Head of Wildlife and Conservation at Clinton Devon Estates. Now, Clinton Devon Estates is a family business that's responsible for the stewardship of 25,000 acres of Devon across several locations. The estate was a core partner in the River Otter Beaver Trial in Devon working with Devon Wildlife Trust, Exeter University and Derek Gow Consultancy on the game-changing five-year study. The trial ran from 2015 to 2020 and determined that beavers could provide benefits to both nature and people if allowed to live wild in the English countryside. So really influential stuff we're going to hear from. So Sam Bridgewater, it's amazing to have you on the Lodgecast. Thank you so much for your time. Now, Sam oversees conservation policy and management on the Clinton Devon Estates. Now, this is sounds like a vital role at a vital time. So we're so lucky to have you on the podcast. We really are. Welcome to the Lodgecast. Yeah, I'm, I'm delighted to uh, to be here. I'm looking forward to the uh, the conversation. Excellent, excellent. But before we dive into that, unfortunately, you've got to charge our fact off. <laughs> there's excellent. no esca- there's no, no, no escaping it. Yeah. Give me your facts. Yeah, I will hit you with my first one, and it's about um, how beavers reduce their body temperatures in the winter to um, conserve it. So, sticking with the winter theme that we were talking about last time, beavers can reduce their body temperature in the winter to save energy, which is pretty cool in itself. They don't hibernate; instead, they try and save energy. They curl up into a ball because that gives the smallest surface area to volume ratio and then they curl up together in their lodge, apparently, press their tails against their bodies and lie close to stay warm. So I've sort of got this image of a little ball of beavers in their lodge trying to stay warm. In the well, I'm, I'm already liking that one. That's a very cute, cute fact. And, and uh, seeing as it's freezing cold in my, uh, in my flat and uh, I had to go to ice on the car this morning, yeah. 
that's uh, that's that's looking good. You, you okay, fancy yourself so. a, a ball of beavers. Um, now, uh, <laughs> at this time of year in winter, beavers are busy building and maintaining their dams and their habitat in response to winter storms and heavy rainfall and increased water flow. But they also need to have prepped for potential food shortages. So their answer lies within their tails which aren't just a brilliant rudder steering them through channels and tributaries in the river, but it's also a brilliant store of fat. So much so that there's barely any connective tissue in the tail at all. It's mainly, it's literally just fat to fuel their ecosystem engineering all throughout the winter. Oh, yeah, no, I, I was going to go with the first one, but I like the second one too, actually. Um, <laughs> difficult. Oh, no. I, I'm going to go with number one. Simply, I, I just I just have this in my mind's eye. I have this sort of little... Uh, Dark lodge with little ball of uh, fluffy beavers, and it's, <laughs> yeah. it's, it's quite cute. So, so but sorry, cute, sorry first. Sorry, that's so. right. No, no, no. Uh, I, I, Eva gets I it. also uh, fancy myself a, a ball of beavers at the moment. It's quite ball chilly. of beavers. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's that's one one for the series. So we're happy with that. It's a nice evening out. Well Sam, done, thank Eva. You. Fair play. <laughs> so yes, we are also very keen for this conversation because I think you um, have one of the unique. Uh, experiences with beavers on the estate um, for a long time in England, certainly in Britain to a degree. So we're keen to hear your opinion. So Clinton Devon Estates have supported the River Otter Beaver Trial since the beginning of the project. What has that support looked like from a land manager perspective? And what has the estate's role and your own role been in that? Um, I guess I'm trying to kind of cut, uh, make a, a long story kind of shorter, but um I guess it was 2012. I just joined the estate actually, and there was a, I got a phone call from somebody on the River Otter saying you got you got beavers on the Otter, and and I was like, yeah, I doubt it. Mm-hmm. But then doing a bit more research, we realised that that was true. But ultimately, the Devon Wildlife Trust uh, approached us saying, well, would you be interested in this sort of first wild living beaver trial? And and uh, we went away and did a bit of research and thought, well, actually. This probably makes sense. Uh, so we we were happily signed up to that, and we were really keen actually to be involved in the conversation from the very beginning to help influence that. I mean, we we did our research. You know, I went out to Bavaria to see what was happening on the ground to oh, speak okay. to farmers there. Oh yeah, we, we did our, our due diligence, mm. and we knew, uh, of course, that there are some very uh, great benefits from having beavers, and, and I'm sure you've discussed that in in previous podcasts. But we were also very aware of uh, um, some of the sort of negative uh, impacts. And, and we have a, a lot of land management, uh, some of which is associated on the floodplain. And so you could really quickly see, well, how would this impact us? So we wanted to make sure that as this conversation progressed, that we were able to put our view across. Um, and, and, you know, we're quite a large landowner. And we were, you know, we kind of thought probably we could handle those issues if they came about. But actually, there's a whole lot of other landowners that probably weren't part of the conversation and we need to sort of you know make sure their views also were taken into account so yeah that, that was how it uh, started really and so we we uh, sat on the various groups there was a science and evidence group there was a, a management uh, group and so on and the steering committee so yeah and did you sit across those to sort of I, exactly yeah, yeah yeah brilliant and so um i mean this is a this is a unique case study in a way because the wild beavers actually moved onto the estate's land. So this is a slightly different situation which we're finding ourselves increasingly in today where farmers and landowners are, are coming to us actively looking to introduce beavers onto their land. But given that you also actively farm the land around the otter catchment, have livestock, etc., it's a very it's a, there's a lot going on in the river otter catchment. Is this um are, were these focus groups and these discussions literally the first thing that you considered when you first realised that beavers had arrived? Was that the first step to the trial there? Um, I think the first step, I mean, one thing I, I mean, in terms of the initial point you said and that they kind of moved in, I think there's two, we don't really know where the beavers came from. I mean, they didn't move in naturally. So mm. there was either they were escapees mm. or they were introduced illegally. I mean, that's the sort of reality of the first of how they got there. Um, but in terms of, you know, what were the first steps? I think the first steps was just looking at sort of the, you know, the principles of reintroductions. Uh, and of course, there'd been quite a lot of feasibility work. So of course, we we read all of that. But also, you know, we I did a lot of um, mapping to begin with, actually looking at the land that we thought might be associated with, which was associated with the rivers mm. and tributaries and drainage ditches and looking at all the infrastructure that we had. Right. Uh, you know, proximity of roads or farm tracks and so on, properties even, just to see, okay, where might these pinch points lie? So I think we came into it with our with our eyes open. And of course, we could bring that to the table. I mean, at the very mm. beginning, the beavers that um, there's a, you know, a small group of around eight or so, um, they were 
predominantly in the main river. And there was no real risk there because you know, they weren't going to, um, there was no reason for them to be damming that river because it had enough space and the water was deep enough and so on. Um, but it wasn't long, and we kind of predicted this, that they kind of moved up into some more marginal land, into a tributary where they did start to have an impact on areas that we managed and indeed um, some tenant farmers. And we started to see you know, what, what they could do, both the good bits and also the uh, more uncomfortable sort of um, things they get up to as well. Were there any awkward conversations internally within, within the estate, sort of for, from a conservation side and a land use, existing land use? Was that ever... A challenging moment? Oh my God, there are beavers here. What do we do? Or was was everyone quite open and welcoming to it? Yeah, I don't think they were. They were. They were challenging, but I think everybody has. You know, obviously, I, I wear a, a conservation hat, and, mm. and and you know, the the kind of benefits of beavers are really quite quite clear. But of course, you know, you have other departments and other characters involved. And if if you're managing a bit of land and you use it for your young stock, and then you have a gate that goes from one field to another field. And suddenly that becomes water and you can't use it. And you've got to like truck your livestock around on a road. Yeah. That's an issue. Mm. And I think, you know, you've got to be able to raise that. And so we had those conversations. They weren't challenging, but it's more like, you know, this is having an impact. What can we do? And I Great. think you start, start that conversation with, well, there's probably a solution uh, about that. We just need to kind of uh, um, go about it in the right way. Yeah, that real life experience. Brilliant. And how did the local community and other nearby landowners respond to the news that beavers were in the area? Did you get knocks on the door to find out more? We we had everything. So we had, you know, um, occasionally my my phone would go and somebody would go, what are you doing getting involved in this? Are you completely hmm. insane? Really? Uh, there's that. And then you had other people thought it was an amazing thing and we were really glad that we were supporting it. And, and I think um, it's some of those fears were based on, uh, um, maybe not hugely based on a kind of strong sort of fat base, you know, so we still, the baseline, I guess, and we're still trying to um, achieve that, uh, or, or people's knowledge was fairly poor to, at the beginning, and, right. and you know, and that, that's fine, because we haven't had beavers yeah, here for exactly. how, many, how, many, how many centuries, but, mm. but even the things about, you know, beavers eating fish, you have to kind of dispel those, those myths, but I think there was certainly a degree of um, questioning, especially for, for farmers who are farming uh, you know, around the floodplain or, you know, had, um, you know, uh, trees close to the river or, or things like that. And they could just see that the beavers were starting to, to uh, gnaw at those. And they're thinking, well, is that an extra, you know, what's our liability if this tree goes down on the public right of way and it's been caused by beavers? You know, who's responsible and all the, and all the rest of it. What is your worst beaver experience to date? <laughs> what's, has anything gone dramatically wrong? Not, not dramatically wrong. I would say, I would say they've been, you know, it's been a real delight and I think everybody uh, across the estate and our partners would, would you know, and even those um, the farmers that have bits of their agricultural land that they can't now manage in the same way have been you know, pretty impressed with what they do. You know, to see these industrious creatures uh, and creating these beautiful, beautiful wetlands uh, um, and the associated wildlife comes, but, um, yeah, but they are, are almost a constant, yeah, but, <laughs> but they are a constant low-level, you know, pain in the arse because they do exactly what you think they'll do. They will go into the drainage ditches and they'll build dams and that will flood bits of bits of land. Uh, and so in terms of the most most of it, I think we've been able to accommodate. There has been, you know, the cost has been, there has been a cost involved. Mm. I mean, not not huge. And I think, you know, the, the, big, the big play here is that we know what the benefits of beavers are and that can be felt downstream. You know, for example, if we're talking about um, reduced flood risk, and I can give mm. you an example of that if you like later. And the big play is can you then, you know, if you know what the gains are and you know what the costs are, can you sort of have a mechanism whereby you can kind of, uh, this kind of payment for ecosystem services, mm. we call it, whereby if you're creating a, a, an improvement in flood risk and a reduction in the amount of money people have to pay, but, that, but the, the pain of that is a loss of income for a small bit of land. We usually are talking about small bits of land. There's this flooding. It should be possible. It's not beyond you know our wit to think of a mechanism whereby you can kind of uh, transfer that money across. But in terms of you know the biggest pain, I suppose is we have been involved in a very uh, very exciting actually climate adaptation scheme called the Lower Otter Restoration mm. Project. Uh, um, That's and really have, exciting. That actually is. It yeah. is. Yeah, it's um, basically trying to uh, you know, allowing the sea that for those in the valley. It's a beautiful, beautiful valley. Uh, in East Devon, kind of with uh, Buddy Salterson at its mouth, and a lot of the original area of intertidal habitat, so amazing mudflat and salt marsh, was drained for agriculture. And there's a big flood embankment that was built 200 years ago. 
that is now failing and this scheme is kind of essentially allowing the sea back up the valley and with lots and lots of benefits for for wading birds and fish but there's an as an element of that is is doing um and kind of construction building a road bridge and you know it's, it's um, so sod's law of course is is the beavers you know quite light hanging about in the areas where we didn't particularly want them <laughs> to hang about it wasn't in their best interest to do that mm. so so it was quite a lot of sort of effort to to make sure that you know, we could do the work but also that their their welfare was protected and we managed to do that so you know but it's um, it's a bit of an effort. Yeah, can we Day in the life of a conservation manager? <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, if we can, for a minute, flip it on its head, um, I'd love to ask you whether there's a particularly memorable encounter with a beaver because you talk really positively about the biodiversity benefits and the ecosystem services. But for you personally, and your many days down by the river, is there a particularly special one that keeps coming back to you? I suppose it's always it's always the um, you know, it's always the first time, isn't it? Mm. Uh, and so 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 you know very early on in the in the I've been in 2013 probably, and and you know you, you realise that well there are beavers here, and you want to see them for yourself. I've never seen a beaver before, uh, and and so you go out on uh, an evening. And there's a lovely stretch of river actually close to our our home farm, so we have an organic kind of dairy, um, and there's a little island there, and I, I kind of went there I, I quite often go there because it's a great place for seeing otters actually <laughs> and if you've had enough of paperwork and i went there one evening and of course you see you know you see a beaver kind of um swimming past it's like it is a bit of a wow moment mm. and the other thing i think in probably several years later was when everybody's getting very excited about this species being back on our rivers uh, and that you know you walk up on an evening and it's almost like a sort of biblical uh um mass migration of people you realize how excited <laughs> people are and that you'd have maybe 20 or 30 kind of moving at the path at, at dusk to get in a position to see these things and and then you know when you see mum come out and three kits you know it, it's really quite it's very very impressive that's really lovely it's very moving actually yeah to realize how many just how much of an effect and an emotion they conjure in in people of all different ages as well i i can confess to being part of that uh <laughs> i don't want to say mob so he's there but... every evening <laughs> Beaver Patrol. <laughs> Sam, you mentioned just now some flooding benefits and the River Otter Beaver Trial studies did find that there were, you know, beavers can help clean water and reduce peak flood flows, which we have touched on um, in previous episodes, but we'd love to hear your experience of that and the benefits that you have seen on the estate from having beavers. Okay, so so um, one of the first places off the main river where beavers appeared was... Um, just upstream of a village called uh, East Budley. And East Budley has historically suffered from, from flooding. There's probably about 40 properties, I think, there or thereabouts that, that suffer flood risk. Um, and um, the where they went to, actually, they, they, it's quite amazing that they chose a site that was already pretty wet. It was a kind of, uh, like a nice little mire of, uh, I don't know if you know, the Greater greater Tussock Sedge. Um, but they, they put a dam there and they kind of dammed the main channel also part of a corner of a, of a tenant's field and you know and that was kind of fine and uh it was it was great that we were able to um you know the trial a big part in the trial was exeter university and this is uh professor richard brazier's kind of group and they put in you know kit above the wetland and below the wetland and the source of that stream is on the pebble bed heaths national nature preserve on, on bicton common and you know when it rains quite heavily they kind of tanks down there go straight down and then into East Budley and you get the flooding. Now, when with this sort of wetland in place, then it was really quite, it was amazing to see the kind of results come out, that you just see that the water come, crashes down and it gets absorbed in this new wetland and it sort of spreads across the floodplain a little bit more and gets held up. And and, and they, you know, it does exactly what they said on the tin, it's just slowing those peaks. Um, so the cost, you know, what is what is the cost being in real terms of having the beavers in that area. Well, there's the, I mean, the first year, there had to be a change in, you know, a small area of the field, you know, couldn't be planted with quite a, uh, with, with seed potatoes. You know, that was probably a cost of about a thousand quid or something. And then you've got to, you had to mess about with a, a field crossing and a gate, so that was done. So, you know, it's a few thousand really. But then if that wetland reduces the, the flood risk of a number of properties by just a small amount, then of course, you know, the gain is much greater than the losses. And I think that's that's the interesting thing. And what I'd love to see going forward, and I think it is the show in town really, is that we don't have yet any real life examples of where you can take those benefits from one place and the negative bits somewhere else and kind of join it up and have this sort of, because it is a material cost. I mean, the estates, you know, we're big and ugly and we can probably take it, but there are a lot of other 
farmers that maybe uh, you know smaller areas of land that that you know actually farming's difficult and you know money's hard to come by and if depending on where it is you know, it has, has a cost to you. And, and it's nice to think they can mechanism whereby they can be paid for those services they're providing, not to them, but to broader society. And that that's something I think we need to kind of crack on with now. And that's stuff I get excited by. But, you know, we don't really have any working examples yet. Mm. That's really interesting. I mean, something that we're really excited and encouraged by at Beaver Trust, and I know across the environmental sector, is beavers and their ecosystem service in helping to manage drought. And obviously 2022, which is when we're recording this, has had a significant drought heat wave. It's been one of the driest years on record. But there was this astonishing photograph of the land owned and farmed by Clinton Devon Estates in the summer that went completely viral, showing a triumphant green wedge of wet wetland gardened by the beavers there around an entirely dry, desiccated landscape where the beaver wetland didn't extend beyond. What did this photo mean for you, having farmed and worked in this in this catchment for for many years? Well, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's a wonderful photograph, and it just shows the amazing things you can get from drone imagery. But again, it just shows you know, you know floodplains generally speaking are meant to be meant to be wet, and, and um, you know, if you walk on that site, it is great because you have lots of wading birds now, and you know you can sort of flush up and snipe and so on. Um, I think it just it just it just shows. I mean, for us, for the estate, we're really thinking about you know what's really exciting for me actually about what we do. So okay, I'm, I'm sort of I'm sorry, I'm going from a tangent here, but it but Please it's do. Uh, we love me. tangents. <laughs> is that we got you know we got ten thousand hectares of of land, which is a, it's a significant holding, and, we, and the estate does many different things. So we do you know conservation. So maybe fifteen percent of our land area is is conservation sites that includes triple SIs and national nature reserves and so on. About a further, you know, seventeen percent will be forestry and woodland. The majority will be agricultural. We've got our own home farm, and then there's like housing and industrial space, and renewable energy. And what's fascinating is how do you get, you know, society wants all these things from our landscape, you know, recreational space and and places to live and places to work and places, you know, for wildlife to thrive and energy and so on. And how do you get that balance right? And and I think you know having the beavers. On our on our floodplains, there's a lot of thought, isn't it, now about oh, how do we manage our floodplains? You know, historically, very few of our rivers and, and floodplains have uh, they've all been heavily modified. They've probably been canalised back by the monks for their water to power. You know, from leads to power mills, or there'll be flood embankments, and we've been farming them in a certain way. In back in the day, there's probably would have been a large amount of public money to help armour the rivers and stop them from moving across our floodplains. Mm. That is no longer the case, and I think there's a lot more discussion about you know, should we be working, well, we should be working with nature more. And then how do we do that? What does that mean for the areas of land that we manage? You know, we currently have it as a grazing platform. That is right. And then going back to the drought, actually, having areas that hold the water in the in the summer is, is actually good if you want to maintain your grazing platform for your, for your cows. But do you need all the areas? Which bits don't you need? Um, you know, do you need wider riparian corridors? It's really exciting stuff. So that, all that was kind of going in my head. And and this area, and I think the area, if my memory serves me well, is about four four hectares. So it's not very big, and it's relatively well contained. And I think, I mean, um, and Sam, who's our, our another another Sam, I should say, our, our farm. How many Sams uh, have you got there? <laughs> only uh, um, <laughs> two, I think. Uh, um, I head of agriculture. Yeah. I mean, he's thinking. I mean, I think he probably would agree. He's like, well, it, we've actually it's been a bit of a pain here, but he's wanting to know. Well, yeah. You know, I can probably maybe accommodate them here, but how much more land will they take? Yeah, and then it's quite hard to tell because these things don't stop where you where you want them to. If I mean, it'd be very great if you say yes, you can do your thing over in that little bit of corner of the field, but don't move. But quite mm. often they don't work in that way. Uh, um, so, you know, I think we'll see where this pans out. I mean, the original the original questions, sorry, a very uh, long monologue was how did you feel about it? It was like. Yeah, this is it's just great to see. So we've probably got three three family main family groups now on estate land which are doing some quite magnificent things with these floodplains. And it's just trying to sort of work out when we can, you know, when we can, we want to accept that. But it's more understanding, you know, at what point is it here but no but no further? And what is the actual risk to what else that you're you're doing? And uh, the the business risk. Gosh, brilliant tangent. Thank you for that. I was to ask you what uh where's the interaction so you get a bit of support here and there in terms of beaver management from beaver trust 
what advice might you give to other landowners who may find wild beavers arriving on their patch? And where do you think, what do you need from a charity like Beaver Trust? I think um, from any, 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 um, any trust really in, in yourselves, it is about um, providing information and advice uh, because we know this is a changing a changing landscape you know the beaver numbers are, are going up in our particular catchment and there'll be you know there are other catchments obviously that have them and they'll be growing uh, i think some people are are informed and they're ready for this and many many more aren't yet this is not armageddon coming your way there are some really good opportunities here but there are also some risks and it's just trying to kind of be measured in that and, and, and just being um, not sort of catastrophizing it too much. And, and I think that of that of good advice is excellent. Um, the other thing where I think is, is you know, where we've had more problems up in, in Scotland is there hasn't been kind of the management support required to help people and they don't really know where to where, where to go. Okay. And, and of course, in, in October this year, obviously the legislation changed and maybe you've uh, covered that on another uh, podcast uh, and so yeah, there are certain things that you can do now and there's certain things that you can't do that you could have done before. And I think just being making sure that you are, it's just helping people to understand you know, the benefits, some of the potential uh, complexities to it and, and uh, how you know it, it is possible to live with beavers, I, I, I believe. And it, but it just needs um, support to do that. That's really lovely to hear, actually. Possible to live alongside them, but it does need some management support. And that's exactly what we're working on, isn't it, at the moment? It's, you know, collectively in terms of beaver reintroduction. That's that's the piece we need to get right, I think. Yeah, I think, I think, I think that's it. Yeah. Thanks so much, Sam. Uh, you're very, very welcome. Thanks for the opportunity to come on and good luck with the, uh, the future podcast. Well, I mean, that was eye-opening, wasn't it? And great to get some real-life experience of living alongside beavers. Sam was brilliant. Yeah, yeah. And I really loved how everything was largely positive. You know, they talked about the story of how it all began and lessons from Bavaria and then engaging with the communities and other stakeholders and everything. But then benefits outweigh the cost and the mm. honesty of the of the trade-off that will always exist in the reintroduction space mm. was really, really interesting to hear from him. Totally. And I wish listeners could have caught the bit that, of conversation afterwards where he said, he almost apologised and said, sorry, you know, Beavers are kind of last year's conversation that we've moved on to other things now because it shows how they're just living alongside them. And that's the end game. Yeah. That's what we want yeah. to achieve. Yeah, totally. Normalise their presence in the river, in every river in England please. (laughs) (laughs) But of course, we also need to uh, appreciate that he's the sort of conservation lead there. And really, really great that we've also got the opportunity to speak to the agricultural lead and see the agricultural side of the estate management and beavers. Mm, mm. We're joined now by Sam Bryant-Evans, Head of Agriculture at Clinton Devon Estates, and a man responsible for management for in-hand farming ops on the estate and providing support and guidance to their tenant farmers. He's a man with muddy wellies, and in his own words, he's not an office boy. Sam, before we dive into our to our chat with you, we, we must ask, uh, which fact are you going to choose? Is it going to be uh, fatty tails or balls of beavers? I quite <laughs> like the idea of balls of beavers, to be honest. Oh, <laughs> Christmas beaver balls. Oh, something to do with that alliteration. <laughs> Fair play. Um, Amazing. Thanks very much. Thanks very much. Um, Now, so let's get down to more interesting stuff. So how did you feel when you first heard beavers had arrived on the estate? I'd love to hear from your perspective, because of course you, and tell a little, tell our listeners a little bit about the day-to-day work that you have to do there. So you're much more agricultural management side than conservation side. Correct. Yes. So my, my job title is Head of Agriculture, uh, and primarily I'm responsible for the operation of the in-hand farms on the estate, which extends to about 1,000 hectares. Uh, we're dairy farmers, so we have about 700 cows, and we're organic. So that's the, the basis of my remit. But the estate is, also has a number of other farming agreements, um, predominantly tenant farmers, but also some share farming operations that I also to a certain extent, I'm involved with, but also supply, uh, provide support to those people as well. So it's quite a, quite a diverse remit. Um, in, in terms of the, how did I feel when the beavers arrived? At the, at the time, I wasn't heavily involved in the process, and possibly through ignorance, it didn't really it didn't really concern me too much at the time. Where they were introduced wasn't anywhere near our 
in had farming operations and I didn't really foresee any major impacts. Um, and actually on a, with my conservation hat on, I was actually sort of quite excited to see what sort of impact they would have and how they would, would evolve and develop. Can you just um, debunk in-hand farming? Because I am not aware of what that exactly means. Okay, so the estate has, the in-hand farms are the farms that are operated and managed directly for the estate. So the estate, right. not only do they wholly own the land, but they it's their business. So they it's their capital input into the business. They employ all the staff that that operate on the farm and they, alongside sort of my guidance, um, have, a, have a big input into how the farm is managed and run. And so to extend that question, as news of the beavers spread, did you start to get more concerns from those farmers, those people managing the, the dairy farming and things like that? Yeah. So the first, when it sort of really came across my, my desk was when it started impacting our direct neighbours um, okay. who are Bicton College Farms. They're not a tenant of, of the estate. They actually own their land, but they are a direct neighbour of our main dairy at Otter. So I was, I was first aware what the issues might be and might be coming my way when, when they started having beavers within the watercourses of their, of their farmland and they started building dams and then the, the repercussions of, of, of the flooding that, that followed that. Okay. And how did you go about managing that then when some of the repercussions happened? Has it been, uh, can you tell our listeners a little bit about the process of what you've had to do and how easy it's been and, and whether or not that's, you know, materially affected operations and things like that? Yeah, sure. So basically when it, when it was, when they were with our neighbours, practically there's very little I could do about it. The neighbours um, had concerns and, and had spoken with the estate about that. But from, from my side, there was very little I could do about that. But as I understand it, there was a process whereby um, some of the dams were knocked out to try and move the beavers away, just discourage them from habitating that, that area. And as a result of that, they moved upstream. So that, their habitat being disrupted by our neighbours moved them upstream onto, onto our land. Oh, okay. um, so that's, that's how it started. So initially, we, we took the same tact. And once we knew the beavers were there, we could see they started building dams. And, and, you know, we were perfectly within our rights at the time to, to knock these dams out as they're being constructed to try and discourage them from, from settling there. Obviously, as, as time went on, um, you know, they, they work incredibly hard and incredibly fast. And, you know, we were busy managing other aspects of the farm. And after a point, you know, we couldn't keep up with their activities. And eventually, um, they, they sort of got ahead of us and, and established these dams, two, two dams in particular, on our ground. And the, the sort of wetland creation followed really very fast afterwards. So we, we first became uh, aware of them on our ground in, I forget exactly, but it was sort of early to mid-2021, so la last year. And we, we had some, some low-lying areas next to the watercourse that we'd sort of, they do flood in winter. We started to see them flooding in the summer, and that's what you know, first drew our attention to it. And really, within 12 months, we, we'd lost a hectare of the field they were in, which was half the size of the field. Um, and actually during the winter, we now lose that whole field to flooding. So what, what impressed me was the, the speed in which they, they develop these, these habitats. Is that something that, um, so you say it's impressed you, did it surprise you? Were you aware that, that they could do that before they started no, working I, on your catchment? Not at all. I mean, I was aware they built dams and, and that's how they, they create their habitats. Um, but I wasn't aware of, frankly, how clever they are in, in, in gathering materials and, and building these dams and, and the construction that goes into it. And also how I wasn't expecting it to be as fast as it, as it was. Um, mm. So that was a real, a real surprise. You know, there's sort of two sides to it. And whilst on one hand, it, it has compromised our farming operations to a certain extent. On the other hand, it has created a really nice, diverse wetland area. So, you know, two sides to it. Yeah, yeah, for yeah sure, that was Larry. my, I was going to add to that by just saying, um, you know, does, does the speed in which they work sort of impress you in a good way or slightly intimidate you in terms of perhaps giving you more work to do in some cases? Yeah, so, so both is, yeah. is the honest answer. You know, we, we do have a really lovely wetland area now that they habitat and it's obviously created a habitat for other, for other species. So it's, it's become quite a wildlife haven, as it were. 
but on the flip side, you know, we've lost a hectare of, of land, which actually forms a reasonably crucial part of the grazing platform for our dairy. You know, we, we graze our dairy cattle for, you know, 10 months of the year and land closest to the dairy is, is obviously the most valuable. So there's, there's two sides to it. Um, yeah. Um, but it was, yeah, it was interesting. So this whole series is about beavers and farming. And one of the big things that we need to do now that beavers are back, because they are, and it's not a question of if, it's sort of when now, is help people look at what it'll take to coexist. And it sounds like from from the conversation with Sam Bridgewater earlier that, you know, you've got to the point where beavers are sort of now the last five years challenge and you're moving on to looking at some other things now. So it sounds a little bit like you have learned to do that. And they are now accepted. What does the process look like to get there for you and for managing your farm, helping your farmers transition? Yeah, so I think, you know, as a farm and as, a, as, a, as an agricultural element of the estate, we, we do accept them. We're not, we're not trying to fight them. We accept them. We accept the benefits. And yes, you know, there are compromises we have to make to, to accommodate them. Um, I think the, the key from our side is, is management. And, and that's something that, you know, we need to learn, you know, in one way, we look at it as a, as a project in that, you know, it's on our farm, it's on our land, we're, we're dealing firsthand with the, the consequences of introducing beavers onto the estate. Um, and it's probably we're, we're learning the lessons that we can then pass on to our tenants. So in that, in that way, it's quite beneficial. So the, the key for us is management. Um, and, you know, we, we accept the area they're in. And I think we have to accept that the, the, the agricultural value of that land is, is has been reduced or, or removed, but there are other benefits that have come as a result of that. But but for us in particular, the close proximity to the dairy farm building infrastructure and all the rest of it, it is actually quite crucial that they don't come any further upstream because if they start flooding right. land closer to the farm, hmm. um, then that could have a real impact on on the farming operations at a much bigger scale. So yeah. for us, it's it, what's crucial is is management going forward is to contain them in the area they're in, but not to encourage them to move further upstream. And you mentioned earlier, talking of management, that um, back in the day when they first arrived, you were within your rights to do X, Y, Z. How do you feel about the recent legislation change that has protected the beavers' status and therefore means that without licence, you cannot remove their dams and things like that? How, how's the mood among the farming community about that? I... From our side, we're we're fairly well in the in the know with this. You know, we we knew that was coming, um, and to a certain extent, we've acted accordingly. We have a couple of members of the estate team who are licensed to to manage them, and so we're oh, great. We're, we're we're very lucky from that side of it. I, I completely get it from Joe Bloggs, John Smith down the road, who you know doesn't have access to that sort of information. We might be sort of intimidated by how how they could manage those under under those circumstances. So I think the licensing. To a certain extent, it's a good thing. It gives them some protection, um, but there's there's enough movement within that licensing. And, and as I say, we've got the, the the right qualifications amongst the estate team to to deal with them despite that. So, yeah. Okay. Um, a couple of questions, I guess, although they're sort of related. Um, so you talk a lot about management, which obviously is essential as beavers spread throughout a catchment. Do you have any advice or, or words of wisdom for other farmers who are either looking at having beavers on their land or who, or who are discovering that beavers are on their land uh, based on, you know, the management activities and the monitoring that you have to do alongside your, your farming operations? I think that the crucial starting point is, is whereabouts on their farm those beavers are and right. how much of an impact can they have on that farming operation. You know, if, if they're on some prime arable land that, that used to grow you know 10 ton a, he- a hectare of wheat and if it's underwater it's not going to grow any then that's that's a very different story to someone who's got some lowland you know permanent pasture grazing that actually you know during the summer they could graze it anyway and in, and in the winter it's flooded so i think that's that's the first the first thing to establish and then secondly is you know the, the thing that i've learned is that the more you disturb them the more likely they are to move uh, and, right. and and to us that was to our detriment so um <laughs> uh, yeah if they hadn't been disturbed in the first place they probably wouldn't have moved onto our land and they've just given our neighbors more more grief than they have us so you know that that's the second thing i think um but Rasheen has a phrase better the beaver you know yeah well there <laughs> we go <laughs> no, never a true word said so there you are <laughs> um, nice no that that is great do you moving beyond um clinton devon estate for a moment do you have any 
longer term concerns about beavers as their numbers expand across Britain and the farming challenges, given all the other challenges for farming to, at the moment? Yeah, no, I, I, I do. Um, and, you know, beaver numbers, even in the short time they've been introduced on the estate, have, have grown rapidly. So I'm under no illusion at how, how fast they, they can expand in, in certain areas. So I think it's really important to have sensible management protocols that not only offer the beavers some protection, but also, you know, offer options um, for farmers to, to control, you know, their habitats. Otherwise, the same with any, any type of wildlife. You know, all types of wildlife has their place to an extent, but it's, yeah. it's, how, it's how it's managed. And, and, being, and for the landowners and farmers to, to, have, to be educated enough to be able to manage it sensibly. Mm. Yeah, thanks. That's really interesting to hear. Sam, I really want to... So I uh, grew up in East Devon, and so I know the River Otter and the catchment very, very well. And as as a catchment, there's so much going on. I mean, you've got villages, you've got prime agricultural land, you've got one of the busiest footpaths in England in terms of footfall. And then obviously you're by the coast. And since lockdown, I feel like numbers of, of people just in that area exploring, whether it's because of the beavers or people just making the most of new areas they've discovered on their doorstep, it just feels like there there is a lot going on, as well as the Lower Otter Restoration Project. We know that beavers can establish a carrying capacity in terms of their population, and the Lower Otter must have a maximum capacity for beavers and so this natural colonization you know tributaries and everything else I mean it must present some challenges for you and for other landowners in the area in terms of how to manage these situations when there's a lot happening um are you concerned about that in terms of the the continued colonization of beavers in the otter or what does the picture look like for you um in the coming years there yeah, no, so I do have some concerns. And, and as you rightly point out that, you know, the Lower Otter Rest- Restoration Project, you know, will be joined to a close next year. And that that may well provide further habitat creation f- yeah. for beavers and, and possibly, you know, perhaps to our advantage and it, it will maintain numbers downstream towards Down the coast, but but, yeah. but limit their movement inland, which I would probably see as a, as a positive. Hmm. You know, the, the other side of it is, you know, you're absolutely right. There are a huge level of tourists and such that, that come to this area. And therefore, you know, maybe there's opportunities for us to use the, use the beavers and, and the other wildlife that their habitats encouraged to, to our advantage, um, you know, through sort of diversification projects and such like um, to provide additional income to the farm uh, or to the farms in the area mm. where, you know, there's a, lot of, there's, a, there's a lot of unknowns at the moment. And whether that can tie into to some of the, the, the big unknowns with future government-led elms projects and, and all the rest of it so i think you know there, there, there's potential tie-ups um but mm. it's, as, as ever with all these things it's quite disjointed at the moment yeah yeah but it's, it's good to hear that you're sort of expecting to and open to diversifying and sort of adapting with whatever might be on the horizon there yeah i, I think we've got to be and, and as an estate that's very mm. much the, the path we take but you know we, we can't forget the fact that you know my remit is to manage a profitable farming operation um sure. and you know a core part of that is our organic dairy herd and therefore you know that from my side that has to come first um and and so we have to yeah. we have to learn to work together on that front have there been any positives to the to the farming operation from beavers and related to that would you have chosen beavers if they didn't come naturally okay hmm. um no, in answer to your second question, I wouldn't have chosen them. But having mm. said that, we've just experienced one of the driest summers of recent times. And the only part of the farm that grew grass all summer was the part that was habitated by the beavers. So there you go. You know, they, they, that's... And you still wouldn't have chosen them. I mean, you know, devil's advocate, <laughs> <laughs> knowing that now. Because, I mean, it seems to me, I, I as a particular dairy farm, that's going to become increasingly important. Anyway, I won't change your answer. But yeah, it's... no, no, and, and you, you raise a valid point, but I, I think that the gains that we had during that dry period probably don't offset the challenges that they create the rest of the year. But it was That's interesting. Really interesting. But it, yeah. but it was interesting to 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 see that that, that actually you know the, the good that they did in terms of irrigation for that area. Yeah, yeah, it is really interesting. Actually, that's fascinating, Sam. We love to ask. Uh, people who especially work in in field work and boots on the ground as it were for 
an insight into a typical day and perhaps in your case as well as we're beavers and farming your best beaver moment if you have one best beaver moment gosh you put me on the spot there now um <laughs> I've, yeah i mean personally i've not you know i've not had too much like direct involvement with the beavers but but i, I you know i'm fascinated by their intelligence in terms of how they construct things you know as, mm. as a farmer and things we're always building stuff and looking at construction are you envious like of their skill there do i detect some envy <laughs> do, do i think i wish i could yeah i wish i could build a dam like a beaver yeah yeah um <laughs> no but it is it is clever yeah, and, it, and it's nature working with 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 nature and i, I am yeah. fascinated by that i have to say yeah, yeah 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 and what does your average day look like then down on the farm so my average day uh, Depending on what I'm doing, um, if I'm if I'm hands on on the ground, our, our day kicks off at four a.m. That's when we start milking the cows. Ooh, gosh, um, that's right. And we, yeah, <laughs> and that takes us through to about half past eight, nine o'clock in the morning. We then stop for breakfast, and then we get on with other jobs, perhaps some field work, tractor driving, moving livestock, that sort of thing. And then the milking regime starts again at two in the afternoon until around six in the evening, um, and then we call it a day. And then the beaver watching starts. And then, yeah, absolutely, yeah. And then, uh, <laughs> keen nature lovers that we are, we all go down to the to the to the river and look out for beavers. <laughs> Sounds well. You probably meet a lot of the community. Have you, as the sort of managing and tenant farming group, had to um, speak with the community about your, you know, elaborate on your plans and and what you're going to do in regards to the beavers? Has that been an interesting interaction along the way? To, to be honest, that. That hasn't really been part of my remit to date. Uh, that's okay. been more more Dr. Bridgewater's side of it. Although we have hosted a number of parties who have got an interest, um, one mm. of which being the Environment Agency and looking at how the beavers oh, work yeah. and and looking at from a flooding perspective, really, because they're looking at our site as a, as a as a bit of a, a trial area for how in other parts of the country where the results of, of beaver activity might cause flooding in more urban areas and the impacts and, and the speed of how it things. So that, that's quite interesting. So we've had yeah a number of site visits from, from interested parties on that front. But in terms of actually dealing with the public directly, I've not had much to do with that. So. Well, I mean, that's probably all we've got time for, for this episode. But I think, is there anything else that you would like to cover and say in terms of beaver experience of farming? Um, I think I've covered most of it, but I think it's just to say that, you know, we, as, as farmers, we shouldn't probably the, the go-to, uh, way to look at this is in a negative light in that, oh, you know, mm. we're, we're, we're losing ground. But I think, you know, the way that farming is heading in terms of more focus on the environment, public money for public goods, et cetera, et cetera. I think perhaps the beavers offer more of an opportunity than, than a, than a challenge going forward. If, if, as I say, if it's managed in the right way. Oh, that's really nice. Nice point to end on. What a soundbite that is, yeah. A soundbite, did you say? Soundbite. <laughs> Sorry. A, sa- a soundbite. <laughs> well, do, do with that what you will, producer Emma. Yes, please. No, Sam, thanks so much for your time. You're welcome, Sam. Really- good, good to talk to you. Well, that was brilliant to get the other side of an estate's management and interaction with beavers. I thought it was really um eye-opening again and um, very informative actually. Yeah it was I really appreciated his honesty especially when he confessed that he wouldn't have chosen beavers if he had been given the choice which is fascinating. Yes but also coupled with them with the potential for in terms of farming for the environment um, that beavers maybe should be part of that solution. Yeah yeah his his acceptance of them really cool. It's been a very good episode on beavers and farming. Yeah Okay, so it's my turn for the quiz. Sophie, are you prepped to answer questions on beaver symbolism and associations? I was until you said those words. (laughs) Wow. (laughs) You're going to love it. You're going to love it. No stats here. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Question one. Beaver is on an easy opener here. Beaver is on the coat of arms of what institution? Is it A, the Ecological Society of America? B, the Institution of Civil Engineers, or C, the Institute of Water, UK. I mean, it's just going to have to be a a stab in the dark, but just because I would love it if this was the case, I'm going to say the the engineer one, B. It is indeed. The Institution of Civil Engineers have a beaver on their shield. That is amazing. That is actually amazing. Isn't it good? They've really thought that through. They nailed it. They have. Let's see. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Question two. 
Which of these is not a beaver place name from England? Is it A, Beverly Brook in Surrey, (laughs) B, Barbon, or C, Burverdale? (laughs) One of those is not, (laughs) in fact, a beaver place name. What's the first one again? Beverly Brook. It sounds like a a lovely, a lovely sort of aunt or something. (laughs) Beverly, Auntie Beverly Brook. Give Beverly Brook. Make some mean Yorkshire pudding. Um, uh, If it's not, what what was the other one? The last one is funny. Berver? Berverdale. (laughs) Imagine if it's like the River Otter Berver Trial. (laughs) Uh, I'm going to to say, uh, I'm just going to say that one. Burverdale. So, yeah, Burverdale. Unfortunately, that's incorrect. Oh. Is it Beverly? Oh, no. is, it, is it Auntie Beverly? Have you got it wrong? Hang on. <laughs> no, that is correct. Oh, what is it? No, Burverdale. Uh, no, so actually, Be- Beverly Brook is in Surrey. Fact. Yeah, okay. Barbon, very cool, was the earliest mention of a beaver oh, wow. place name from uh, the 1086 Doomsday Book. Oh, And it's wow. from Old Norse. Oh, wow. I know. Really <laughs> cool. That's better and better. I know. Okay, question three. Okay. We spent far too long on that one. Beaver incisors have been used over millennia for many purposes, but Ooh. which of these is not one of them? Or not at least not a recorded one of them. A, decoration. B, as a pen. C, oh. dice. Or D, as a tool. Oh, we've got a D. Uh, I'm going to say dice. That is incorrect this time. <laughs> um, it's in fact no. I, I, pen. I made up the pen. I mean, arguably you could scratch with a beaver tooth, but I, they, yeah. have, they were actually used as dice. So there are wow. some dice in the, the teeth. In the Canadian Museum, incisors were decorated and used as gambling <gasps> pieces made by oh. the Coast Salish peoples in the Pacific Northwest. You've nailed Come this on. quiz, Eva. I'm, I've learned I've learned more fact in this rich. quiz than I than I have in, in all my factor research. <laughs> Bravo. And that is it for this episode of the Lodgecast. But don't worry, we're back again next week and we're joined by Delphine Puget, Principal Advisor for the Species Reintroduction Programme, and excitingly the Beaver Lead at Natural England to chat about the great underbelly of land management, financing the future of farming and nature restoration. So make sure you've subscribed to The Lodgecast on your podcast platform of choice so that you don't miss it and be sure to leave us a five-star review. That would be very kind. And for more from Beaver Trust, please don't forget that you can find us on Instagram, Twitter and YouTube at Beaver Trust or head over to our website beavertrust.org and sign up for our free email newsletter. Thanks for joining and see you next week. Bye-bye. This podcast, as always, is a mixture of fact and opinion. It was hosted by Sophie Pavel and Eva Bishop. It was produced and edited by Emma Brisdian for Beaver Trust. 